Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we've got another great show lined up for you, and we're going right to the heart of Indian country with an exciting interview. We're looking at an amazing program that actually is looking at how we can help Native youth actually be healthier, be better learners, and make a difference in their families and in their communities our guest today, Nancy O'Banion. Nancy is the Health Education and Wellness Director of the Indian Healthcare Resource Center of Tulsa. Nancy, it is so great to have you with us today. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Now, Nancy, before we start talking about you and the program that I think everyone's interested in, we need to hear a little bit about the Indian Healthcare Resource Center of Tulsa. I know a lot of folks know about the work you folks do there, but others who are listening from Alaska or the Northwest or the Southeast, they might not be familiar with what you folks do. So tell us a little bit about the Resource Center. Well, Indian Healthcare Resource Center uh, has been in business for about 41 years now. We are an urban Indian clinic uh, located uh, near the heart of downtown Tulsa. We are an ambulatory medical clinic, not a hospital. Um, we see about 10,000 to 12,000 patients per year. Uh, we have adult and pediatric medical, uh, an extensive behavioral health department, our health education and wellness department. Uh, we have dental, optometry, radiology, mammography, and a lab. So it's pretty comprehensive health care. Wow, that is actually quite impressive. You listen to the title, Indian Healthcare Resource Center, and people are thinking, well, do I call there to get some diabetes materials? It, it, it sounds like a place where you distribute information, but you're really serving the needs of people in Indian country in a very practical and tangible way, aren't you? Yes, the clinic actually started as a result of a survey, a community survey that was done 41, 42 years ago, uh, and our current CEO was involved in that at the very beginning. And they uh, surveyed the Native people in Tulsa to see what the needs were. And medical care was uh, a top priority because they were having to drive to another community uh, to get health care at either a tribal facility or an IHS facility. So this served a, a big need and has continued to for many years. So is it safe to say your center has provided a model for other urban Indian centers? Is that safe to say? Um, possibly so, yes, possibly so. We have a sister clinic in Oklahoma City. It's the Oklahoma City uh, Urban Indian Clinic, and we are very similar in, in how we do business. Well, this is great. So you folks are making a difference on the front lines, primary care services in Indian country, but you've also got a department, Health Education and Wellness, and you direct that department. Tell us a little bit about what goes on there. We kind of wear two hats in this department. We do our our clinical work, and we have uh, some community projects, uh, one of which is our topic for today. But um, on the community side, we run summer camps for kids. That's part of our diabetes prevention program is trying to educate kids and help them understand that just because they have diabetes in their family history doesn't mean that they will automatically get diabetes. So we teach them about um, health and how to be healthy through 
physical activity and good nutrition. Uh, we have lots of games and activities for them, and we feed them good, healthy food, and they drink lots of water. And uh, so we do, this summer we're doing six weeks of summer camp. Um, beyond that, our, our topic today, which I know we'll get into, the Sit, Less, Move, for Learn Better training, is part of our community work. On the other side, we have a clinical program. Uh, of course, diabetes care and prevention is a big component of that. We have about 1,000 patients who have diabetes that we take care of here. And we have three uh, diabetes educators who do our education with the patients for both diabetes and prediabetes. This is really excellent. So you've got comprehensive services, not only intervening in those people who have either diabetes or prediabetes, and many of our listeners know that's a condition where the research suggests if you don't do anything, about, what, 11 12% of them will develop full-blown diabetes in a year and, what, better than half of them in a decade. Yes, yeah, and we're trying to prevent that. So you're doing all that, but then you're getting involved on the front end. You're working with Native youth who may not have diabetes or prediabetes and trying to really stack the deck in their favor, aren't you? Yes, we are. We are. Now, Nancy, you mentioned the diabetes or the, the summer camps. Do you call it diabetes camps, or how do you brand the camps? Uh, we've kind of changed the names over the years. We've called it Wellness Adventures for several years, and um, this year we're calling it Native Cultural and Wellness Camp. So there's definitely a, a cultural component to that. Um, the kids learn to play some traditional Native games like Cherokee Marbles and Stickball, and they will also get to, uh, you know, just visit some cultural sites like Cherokee Nation and other places on their field trip. This is great. I had someone uh, not all that long ago who runs diabetes summer camps, uh, especially targeting diabetes, as I recall. I think he does one outside of Seminole, Oklahoma, and I think he's done some others in the southeast. But he was mentioning it's kind of an open-type enrollment where any Native youth can apply. Is that something similar, or are your services strictly for people who are actually patients of your of your clinic? Um, the clinical work is obviously just our patients, but the summer camp, they do not have to be our patients. We try to reach out to any, any youth who wants to come. They have to have a tribal card. Uh, from one of the tribes, it doesn't matter what. We serve over 150 different tribes here at our clinic, so that's the urban mix. So we we take all of the kids that want to come. So when does the camp run this year? Is it too late for someone, if they're interested, to uh, take advantage of it? Not too late to enroll. We actually start uh, our first session on June the 11th, and we'll run three sessions in June and three sessions in July. So you're basically running all summer long. Pretty much. Okay. So whenever this show airs, we're recording. It happens to be we're recording in the month of May if you're tuning in today. And if you don't know how American Indian living works and you're listening in, we're usually about a four- to six-week lag between the time we record a show and the time it's fully produced and goes out to all the stations. So uh, if someone hears this in mid or late June, they still might be able to get into a program later in the summer. Is that possible, or have things likely filled up by then? Um, we might still have some openings. I haven't looked at the enrollment uh, yet today, but um, that's entirely possible. 
So, Nancy, if someone's interested in the summer camp program, and I know that's not our focus, but you just got me immediately interested, and I know a lot of our listeners, if they're especially from Oklahoma or around that area, are probably excited about it. How does someone learn more about it or get in touch with you folks? Uh, the easiest way to do it is to email us at camps, C-A-M-P-S, at I-H-C-R-C dot O-R-G. Okay. So camps is easy because we're talking about camps. And then I'm assuming this is the initials for Indian Health Care Resource Center, right? That's correct. So I-H-C-R-C dot O-R-G. That's it. Okay, I think we got it. Camps at Indian Healthcare Resource Center, or the abbreviation IHCRC.org. Well, we want to talk about some of the other great stuff you're doing. And one of them, and that's how we got acquainted, at least I met one of your colleagues at the last American Public Health Association meetings. Um, Amber, I believe, was there, Amber Anderson, speaking about a program that got me, I mean, actually quite excited the Sit Less, Move More, Learn Better program. There at uh, APHA, you guys were calling it a comprehensive approach to improving health of American Indian children. Tell us what that's all about. Well, Sit Less, Move More, Learn Better has uh, existed for about 10 years. I think we have provided the training eight times over the last 10 years. We have it in August. We have one coming up this year, August the 7th. And uh, we invite teachers, uh, classroom teachers, and physical education teachers, any of the tribes that have youth activity program staff. Uh, the goal is to learn new ideas to enhance learning through physical activity. Uh, we do all different kinds of activities, uh, such as icebreakers, brain breaks, fitness games, and classroom activities that include physical activity. Um, we do experiential learning, uh, we try to help kids learn communication and problem-solving activities. Um, the main idea is to intermingle academics with physical activity because the research shows that kids learn better while they're moving. Mm. Now, we're wanting to hear details about this and how people can get involved, but I know there's one of the questions that I've kind of glossed over that some of the listeners are probably wondering about this. I mean, this woman is doing all kinds of fascinating work there at the Indian Healthcare Resource Center there in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And some of them may not feel they really know who you are, Nancy. So we're going to step back for a minute. We're going to talk in detail about the program that you've just introduced. But tell us a little bit about what your background is and how you got involved there at uh, IHCRC. Okay. Um, my background is I have a, a master's in health education and physical education. Um, school was a very long time ago. Uh, I have worked here at Indian Healthcare for 17 years, and over that time I've had the privilege to develop uh, a number of programs uh, based mostly on the different grant programs that we have had. Um, my department has been fortunate to have have a good grant writer, of course, and we have had in the past funding for youth programs that were school-based and after-school program-based. Um, we don't have any of those funds right now, any of those grants right now, so we're focusing on our summer camp program and the Sit Less, Move More, Learn Better program. Um, I've, I've been the department head here for health education and wellness for all the, all the years I've been here. Wow. And it, it's been 
a great deal of fun, uh, a privilege to be able to develop all these different kinds of programs and um, have met amazing people um, through the tribes, through different grants that we had years and years ago, and the opportunity to, to share our programs at conferences like, like APHA and others. So are you uh, someone who's got deep roots in Oklahoma, or where are you from originally? I was born and raised in a community called Enid, Oklahoma, oh, sure. two hours west of Tulsa. And uh, I've been in this part of the state since um, over 30 years, over 35 years. That's tremendous. And so as people are listening to what you're doing, I can imagine there's Native youth tuning in, uh, elders who have children, grandchildren who are at a point in their life where they're looking at career options. A lot of people say, well, I mean, look, at you're hearing from, from Nancy O'Banion here. I mean, she's been doing this for 17 years. I mean, there aren't too many people who are directors of health, education, and wellness there at the, the program in Tulsa. There's probably just one, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> so here, here's the question. Here's where I'm going with this. And that is, as you look at wellness and health education in Indian country, do you think there's opportunities for those individuals who are studying, who are looking at careers? Do you think this is a good area for uh, young people to be considering? I absolutely think so. Um, health is just is wide open, and there needs to be more jobs in the area of prevention. If we're going to turn this diabetes problem around, we've got to start working more on the front end mm -hmm. and help people learn better about how to eat healthy. There's also a lot of opportunity for people in the field of dietetics and diabetes education. Um, there's also a tremendous need for people in public health to work on improving policies that would uh, help make the environment healthier. Uh, you know, things like posting uh, nutrition information at fast food restaurants is a step in the right direction mm. so people can make informed choices about what they eat. No, I mean, these are these are tremendous messages. Nancy O'Banion, she's someone who is uh, really living that life of making a difference in Indian country through being involved with health education, with wellness programming, helping with people who actually come for medical services, she and her team, as well as helping with programs that can prevent people actually having to need those medical services. So I think it's an excellent example of someone who's making a difference. And Nancy's going to stay by with us because she's going to come back and tell us more about this exciting program that's making a difference and really how you can actually learn from their experience some things that you can do in your own personal uh, lives and in your own tribes. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We'll be coming back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. We will be right back after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. 
For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. My guest today is Nancy O'Banion. Nancy, if you're just joining us, is someone who heads up uh, a host of services, really in the heart of Indian country there in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She has been making a difference for some 17 years in her current position, serving as the director of really a whole department, the Department of Health, Education, and Wellness there at uh, the center in Tulsa. And the, the name for that center, Nancy, why don't you give it again to us because it's important if people want to contact you. It's Indian Healthcare Resource Center of Tulsa. And uh, for those of you who uh, didn't pick it up, I'm assuming because of an email address you gave that your website is just simply the initials dot org. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. So Indian Healthcare Resource Center i h c r c dot o r g, and that will bring you to your website. That's right. Well, Nancy, we began to talk in the last segment about a program that really got me excited, got me introduced to to you and some of your team. And that is the Sit Less, Move More, Learn Better program. You introduced it for us in the last segment. Um, I understand this is something you've been doing, you said, for about a decade now. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And it's not an ongoing program like where teachers and things come every week, right? That's correct. It, it's uh, just an event that's held once a year uh, in August. So you've got this event, and is it a kind of a small group thing? Is it a, a larger number of people that come out? What's What would I find if I showed up for one of them? Uh, well, you'd want to dress in your tennis shoes and your activity clothes because it's very active learning all day long. We average about 65 to 70 participants. Uh, it's a one-day training. It's a train-the-trainer workshop. It's offered to teachers and uh, people who work with kids at the tribal level or even preschool, uh, different 
all different classroom or, or physical activity settings where kids are involved. And uh, it, like I said, it's a one-day training that people enroll in. Our enrollment's already open for our, our training on August the 7th this year. Okay, so on August 7th, you'll be having people from mainly Tulsa, or do they come from all over for this? Kind of, it's kind of all over the state of Oklahoma. Okay, so if someone's tuning in today and they're from Kansas, are they basically excluded because they're not an Oklahoman? No, we're we're open to anyone who wants to come. Okay, so let's talk about this practically. I'm listening today. I'm a teacher in New Mexico. I've always wanted to go to Oklahoma. Now, I can say this, having lived myself in Oklahoma for over a decade, I know that for many people, it's not a hot destination point. Well, it, right. it may be hot in the summer, but it's you know yes. it's, it's not on their list of must-see places. But there's a lot of great people and great things happening in Oklahoma. So hypothetical situation, someone listening from New Mexico, they're a teacher. Maybe they're working in a, uh, a school that's uh, connected you know, with a tribal uh, entity. And, uh, or maybe they're just working with Native youth, maybe in a public school. I mean, is that an option for them to come to? Sure, it is. If they want to travel and be here for a day, it's a full day on August the 7th. Okay, well, you're definitely uh, putting out a lot of stuff there. Before anyone's going to make a decision, though, they want to hear a little bit more. So you've got a relatively small group. People have got to call in right away, or do you have pretty good capacity in the program? Uh, pretty good capacity. We usually enroll up to 90, and there's always some people who are not able to attend that day. But it's, it's pretty open enrollment down to about two weeks. We cut it off about two weeks before the event starts. Okay, and so while we're talking about enrollment, before we go into more detail about the program, how does someone get a hold of you or your team or learn more about the program or sign up if they want to? Um, if they'll go to the website, uh, which is ihcrc.org, uh, they'll find the Sit Less, Move More, Learn Better program on there, and there is a link to enrollment on Eventbrite. Okay. Now, what happens if someone is listening today? They've got a radio but they're somewhere in Indian country where they don't have good uh, Internet services. Maybe they don't have Internet access. Is there a phone number for the center that would be appropriate to use? Sure. Uh, the main number is 918-588-1900. Okay. So what I've got is 918 area code 588-1900. That's correct. Okay. And that's the number for the uh, the whole center, right? That's correct. Okay. And again, if, if you're just joining us or that name keeps slipping by you, it's the Indian Healthcare Resource Center of Tulsa. And if you're going to the website, just remember Indian Healthcare Resource Center, the initials IHCRC.org. So let's talk a little bit more about that program. Let's just say I happen to be one of those people. You may not let me in as a physician and radio host, but let's say I somehow crashed the party. I'm there August 7th. Uh, what time do I have to get there? Uh, we'll start at 8.30, between 8.30 and 9 o'clock, and we'll wrap up at 3.30 in the afternoon. Okay, so it's a full day, but it's not overwhelming. It's not like you're going to keep me there till midnight. Right, right. So I show up at uh, at 8.30, you get me enrolled, I'm, I'm assuming, and what happens from there? What am I going to expect to learn? Well, in the morning, we have a guest speaker uh, this year. Her name is Tara Lynn Garner. She is from the Kansas City area. She has 36 years of experience in physical education, and we learned about her through the SPARC PE program uh, that's run by Sport Time. 
And so she will uh, teach in the morning. Um, People who are involved in activities for kids are always looking for new ideas and new activities so they're not doing the same games all the time. Mm -hmm. And we're also going to focus on, like I mentioned, um, helping to promote academic achievement by giving people ideas for how kids can learn academics while they're physically active because we know there's a solid research link um, between those two. Kids learn better when they're active. So we want to keep kids active as much as possible and also help them focus better in the classroom. So uh, Carolyn Garner will speak in the morning. We'll break for lunch. And in the afternoon when we come back, uh, it will be the staff from our host agencies uh, will do the teaching. And that includes Indian Healthcare, of course, uh, the Creek Nation Indian Youth Program, the Wawoka Indian Clinic Youth Program, and the Tulsa Health Department has a program. It's all about kids and they are out in the schools in the Tulsa area uh, a great deal. So the, that will be the schedule for the day. We'll be the guest speaker in the morning, and then our, our host staff uh, will teach in the afternoon. Great, great. Well, sounds like a great lineup. And uh, here's one of the, the questions that may come up. So someone's saying, okay, I carve out this time. I come out in, uh, in August to learn this program. Here's someone that Dr. DeRose met at a scientific meeting or learned about your program, at least in that context, I've got healthcare professionals that are listening in, and one of the things that they always ask is, well, what kind of outcomes are there? You know, if I invest in coming to a program like this, are, are you measuring anything? Do we know that it really makes a difference? How would you respond to that? We know that in any given year we're going to somehow reach forty to 50,000 kids. Wow. It's just, you know, we've asked that question the last couple of years on our program evaluation for the participants. How many kids are you going to reach with these ideas and activities? So it it adds up tremendously because some of them work um, in a county-based program. So they they are going to try to reach all the kids in their county at various different uh, programs that they do, whether that's camps or school-based or after-school-based programs. We do a program evaluation uh, survey for all of the participants to find out how, how much they liked the program, did we explain the activities well, could they take these activities and apply them to different settings and different ages, um, you know, their desire to implement the new activities. And that's how we evaluate mm-hmm. the, the, the immediate work of the day. And we, we've always done really well on our program evaluation surveys. So basically what you're finding is this is not one of those programs that people come, they have a good time, they say, oh, that was all interesting, and they just forget about it. You're actually uh, collecting evidence, documentation, that people who come to these programs actually change what they do as a result of attending. Am I hearing you right? Yes, yes. That's the whole intention is to come away with new ideas that they can implement in their setting when they get back home. So a lot of workshops, a lot of programs, I mean, the focus is on ideas, concepts. But what I hear that's so exciting from the very beginning about this program is you're really focused on giving people tools, giving them new ideas as to how they can bring exercise in creative ways into the classroom and other settings where they're dealing with Native youth. Have I got really the goal of the program? Yes, it is. So tell us something that you've heard, and I know I might be putting you on the spot, but something about some approach to exercise that maybe resonated with one of your participants, and they shared that with you. Um, You know, they found new ways to challenge their students. Um, There are classroom teachers who have figured out how to 
use more movement in the classroom to enforce the core concepts that they're teaching. Mm-hmm. And they're good complements to their already existing curriculums. Um, teachers, you know, for so many years, kids have been sitting and sitting and sitting in the classroom. And kids need to move. They were born to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to get them to sit still and stand still. So being able to implement physical activity into their academic world really helps the kids uh, blow off some steam and then be able to focus. Tremendous. And that's been a real benefit for the teachers. Tremendous. Well, Nancy, our time has just about slipped away. Once more, give us that, uh, that website if people want to learn more about the Sit Less, Move More, Learn Better program. Sure. It's www.ihcrc.org. That's Indian Healthcare Resource Center, uh, abbreviation.org. And they can also call the clinic at 918-588-1900. Thank you so much. Again, the phone number, if it went by too quickly, 918-588-1900. And the website, just remember, Indian Healthcare Resource Center, and you've got it. We have to step away for just a couple of minutes, but Nancy, thank you so very much for joining us. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. We'll be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. You don't want to miss our next guest, some very powerful information also that can change your lives and the lives of those you love. Stay tuned. I'm Dr. DeRose. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live united. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. 
Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're continuing our show today really with a theme of health across the lifespan. We were speaking about young people, about making an impact on our youth by getting them more involved, more active physical activity in the classroom. But now we're talking about a topic that relates not only to youth, but to those of us at any age. It has to do with one of our most precious commodities, our vision. And to aid us in that dialogue is Dr. Rachel Bishop. Dr. Bishop is the Chief of Consult Services at the National Eye Institute. Rachel, it is so great to have you with us. I'm delighted to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Now, Rachel, people have heard of the National Institutes of Health, but when we talk about some of these other institutes, some of them seem a little less familiar. Tell us just a bit about the National Eye Institute and how it fits in with the uh, the NIH. Sure. So the NIH is a large collection of institutes. There are 27 institutes and centers, and we're one of them. The NIH, of course, is the largest um, national research institution. And our goal is to help to promote the health and wellness and fight disease uh, for American citizens in all areas. The Eye Institute, in particular, is interested in preserving vision and um, solving some of our eye disease mysteries so that we can reach Americans and keep their eyes healthy. Um, and that spans from kids to old age. This is such an important topic, and of course, our show, American Indian Living, is especially themed for Native Americans, but we have people from across the the age range, the demographic range, people who are Native Americans living on reservations tune in, urban Indians, people who don't have any Native roots, and just about everybody at some point along the way has concerns about their eyes. Help us to understand why prevention is so important as we speak about eye health? Well, you've kind of hit the nail on the head about prevention. There are some medical problems we have where if you stub your toe, you're going to feel pain immediately and you know something happened. Mm -hmm. The most common causes of vision loss and the most common eye diseases in this country have no early warning signs. And what that means is If you had, for example, diabetes and you had early changes in your eye from the diabetes or in your eyes, you wouldn't necessarily know it. So you could think everything was fine because you're seeing well, but actually if an eye doctor had the opportunity to do a complete eye exam, they would see early changes which would require some intervention um, to make sure you kept that good vision. So, so. In a sense, it's unfortunate that your body doesn't give you signals that something is going wrong at an early stage because it allows a lot of people to be suffering some damage and not know it. And that's why um, prevention and eye exams, even if you think everything is going well, that's why it's so important in particular for the eyes. I so appreciate, uh, Dr. Bishop, you mentioning diabetes. Of course, that's a huge concern, not just in Indian country, but beyond. And 
many times when people start to read a little bit about the eye and, and diabetes, it seems confusing to lay people because they'll be reading about new blood vessels forming in the eye and they say, well, that sounds good. I mean, my heart doctor was saying if, you know, I exercise more, I'll get new blood vessels. It'll help my heart. Well, why are the doctors so worried about new blood vessels in my eye? How do you help someone understand this kind of silent process that then can cause catastrophic loss of vision? Well, so that is such a great question because you do think new vessels, that sounds good. It's bringing more oxygen to the tissues that need it. Unfortunately, the body has some common ways of reacting, and what might be helpful in one organ might not be so helpful in another. So in the eye, um, diabetes is a disease um, primarily of blood vessels, or at least significantly of blood vessels, Mm -hmm. in terms of the damage it causes in the eyes and the kidneys and the nerves and so on. And in the eye, if you have diabetes and have it affect your eye, there will be parts of the retina, and the retina is the tissue in the back of the eye. It's the light-sensing tissue that picks up the signal of vision and then sends it on back to the brain through the optic nerve. So the retina is the specialized, if you will, the specialized um, sight-collecting tissue. The retina will experience a loss of oxygen, inadequate oxygen, because the blood vessels are damaged from the diabetes. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, a signal is sent through some complicated mediators, which we actually understand much better now than we did 20 and 30 years ago. A signal is sent, and that signal um, signals the body to grow more blood vessels. In the eye, those blood vessels are not able to feed the retina as they should. In fact, what happens is they have the ability to leave the retina and kind of grow into the cavity that's in the um, the, the jelly substance that fills the eye itself, mm-hmm. and that can cause a tugging on the retina mm-hmm. that can lead to a retinal detachment. It can also lead to tearing of those delicate vessels, and then you can have bleeding inside the eye. Um, you know, these are a lot of details that you may not remember all of them, mm-hmm. but the point is these abnormal blood vessels are not helping feed the tissue that's starving for more oxygen. They are, in fact... Um, a liability and can cause a problem with bleeding and retinal detachment if they aren't managed. So I'm getting a lot of real important take-home points here. I mean, one, I'm hearing control the diabetes because that will limit the risk of damage to the eye. But regardless of how well you think your blood sugar is controlled, make sure you make friends with an eye doctor so they can be monitoring those eyes over time. Make sure there are none of these early changes. Am I hearing you right? Yes, that is right. You know, there's a very encouraging um, point to emphasize as well. Um, When we think about disease, if there weren't interventions that were useful, uh, it would be it wouldn't be really very very helpful for your listeners to hear. Well, here's how we identify a disease, but there's nothing we can do about Mm -hmm. it. I mean, that's just a discouraging take-home message. That's not the case at all with ophthalmology. In fact, most vision loss is preventable. Wow. That's a pretty important point. Most vision loss is preventable. What that means is that if we can get to you, if we can take care of your eyes, in most cases, we can keep your vision. We can manage the disease and preserve what you have or preserve most of what you have. That's a really empowering, um, you know, that's a really empowering fact. That wasn't always the case in ophthalmology, but there have been great advances, and that is the case now. And, And with the research that 
National Eye Institute is supporting and other organizations are supporting, that should only get better. So really, your job is to get to us, and then our job is to take care of your eyes once you're in our care. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that, uh, that allows people to realize, I just really need to trust in my doctor and get to my doctor and make my ophthalmology visit part of what I think of when I think of general health care, taking care of my whole body. Well, this is such a great message. And I know in uh, places that are more uh, inaccessible or more difficult to access, maybe it's some uh, tribal clinic that's maybe in a more remote area. They've got technologies now where they can actually take pictures of the retina and actually send that to an eye specialist who can evaluate it. I guess that technology is becoming more widespread. Is that what you're seeing? Yes, actually. And this is, this is um, I think, such an exciting advance. There's the, the development in photography and then also in transporting these images and developing reading centers. Well, the reading centers have been around for a while, but using them for this purpose of kind of a public health initiative to extend um, eye monitoring to um, maybe people who are in remote enough regions that getting to an ophthalmologist just isn't feasible. This is really very exciting. Um, I think the trade-off between having pictures sent, and sometimes they, they, you know, they do vision screening and other things that go along with that, um, the trade-off between having that sort of an evaluation and, say, the full evaluation you might get if you're sitting in an ophthalmology doctor's office, um, I would much rather get 100% of people and have everybody reach, you know, get photos and get at least a baseline screening than have only half the people come in for the full exam in person because we can identify changes in the photos and reach back to those people and say this 5% or these 10% of that group need to go in and find an ophthalmologist. So I'm extremely excited by the technology of photography to access locations that are more remote. I mean, this is such a great message. And so some are tuning in. They're saying, wow, this is good news. If I've got diabetes, I don't have to be a, a statistic like maybe my grandmother or grandfather. There is new hope. There's new treatments. And I just need to get screened. But what about that person, Dr. Bishop, who says, well, I don't know why this is relevant to me. I don't have diabetes, doesn't run in my family. Uh, my vision is fine. I'm 75. I've never seen an eye doctor. Why should I go today? How do you speak to a person like that? Well, there are a few things that that person might be surprised to learn about. First of all, it's not just about diabetes. Some eye diseases are associated with body-wide diseases like diabetes but others are not. For example, glaucoma increases, with, increases in frequency in the population with um, aging. Cataract, that's a disease of the aging eye. Macular degeneration, that's the disease of the aging eye. Um, and there are two kind of important points on, on what you're raising, which is I'm feeling fine, I'm seeing fine, why should I see an eye doctor? Well, you might think you're seeing fine, but actually... We know that if you lose a, a skill very slowly, you don't always know that you lost it. And if you lose your vision very slowly, you might not also realize that, you've, that you're not seeing as well as you could. So the person who thinks they're seeing great might actually have the potential to see much better, but they've just adapted so slowly to this change, um, to this, you know, over time, that they, they don't realize they, their vision could be much better. The second thing is 
the realization that it's not just diabetes that can rob your vision, and that person could have macular degeneration, again, in the early stages, which could progress, and our best chance at treatment is when it's early on. To catch things early is always the best chance for treatment. Mm-hmm. This is so important. I think of a friend I have who uh, some years ago apparently began the process of uh, having issues with glaucoma totally uh, unbeknownst to him, and now his vision is severely impaired. It just crept up on him until he had lost so much vision that he really struggles to this day. That friend of yours is not atypical for what we see in clinic, and it's not every day, but it's certainly not uncommon for a person to come into clinic with one reason they came. You know, maybe their doctor sent them because they wanted us to monitor the medication side effect of some treatment. Mm -hmm. And that is the first time they're getting an eye exam and we discover advanced glaucoma. Wow. Um, That story is quite common. It's common enough for us to have these messages we're putting out today, which is you can be suffering from vision loss and not know it. And, you know, another interesting um, statistic that supports that is There are more than 14 million visually impaired Americans. Wow. And 11 million of those would benefit simply from eyeglasses or contact lenses. In other words, from having their um, corrective needs met. Tremendous. Of those approximately 14 million Americans who are visually impaired, the vast majority would benefit from glasses or contacts. Um, So... A lot of people don't know that they're not seeing as well as they could. Boy, this is fantastic information, Dr. Bishop. We have to step away just for a couple minutes, but we're going to come back with more from Dr. Rachel Bishop of the National Eye Institute. Life-changing, vision-saving information coming up. Don't go away. I'm Dr. DeRose. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. 
and someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose and with Dr. Rachel Bishop of the National Eye Institute. Rachel, you've been sharing with us some great information. One of the things that I think is just amazing is people who are visually challenged, as many as 14 million people in the United States, 11 million of them would be seeing better if they just had more current eye care and and we're wearing corrective lenses. Did I hear that right? Yes, that is correct. I mean, that's an amazing statistic. And it also leaves, you know, several million who are visually impaired and who need, um, you know, good care by an ophthalmologist to manage eye disease. Mm. Um, And that's the visually impaired Americans. We have a lot of uh, patients under our care who are maintaining good vision because they're getting good eye care. There are many millions of Americans who suffer from age-related macular degeneration, from cataracts, from diabetic retinopathy, from glaucoma, and other diseases. But because we manage these closely, we're able to maintain good vision in the millions of Americans who are treated um, for these different conditions. I mean, this is just really good news. Now, for the person who says, hey, okay, you've been talking to you know older folks, you've been talking to people with diabetes, but... You started this show by talking about young young people. I'm a grandparent. I'm seeing my ophthalmologist. Do I need to tell my grandkids, my 8, 10-year-olds, uh, a 20-year-old, do they need to be concerned about eye health? What kind of messages uh, do you share with someone like that, Dr. Bishop? Well, sure. It's really important to begin kind of healthy living discussions. We model it, right, as parents for our children. And it's important to begin these discussions with young people. The habits you establish now are ones you take into adulthood and beyond. And we know that there are things that everybody can do to keep their eyes healthy. Although it's true that eye disease tends to affect older people more than younger people, there are these habits that are important to start early. And we'll go through a couple of them. Living a healthy lifestyle, the way you hear in your the healthy living advice, you know, how to keep your heart healthy. Those mm-hmm. tips are the same tips we give to keeping your eyes healthy. That means a healthy diet. For your eyes in particular, we know that leafy green vegetables, spinach, kale, things like this, um, and fish that are rich in omega-3 fatty acids like tuna and salmon, these are foods that help your eye. They give your eye the nutrients they need. Maintaining a healthy weight or a or working to get to a healthy weight is a very important health goal. Managing your medical problems, that means if you have high blood pressure, taking your medicine so that you keep your blood pressure under control. Knowing your family's history, do your parents have glaucoma? Do your parents have diabetes? These are things that can impact whether you might get these diseases. Certainly not smoking. We've all heard that message, but the good news 
news is that the medical community is equipped to help people who need to quit smoking. It's also equipped to help people who need to achieve a weight goal, who need to lose weight. So these are all things that you as an individual can begin to do as a young person, begin to think of taking care of your eyes as something that's just part of what you take care of when you're taking care of your whole health. Now, I think folks, as they've been listening, they might say, well, I, I can see the connection with diet. I can uh, understand maybe a connection with smoking because blood vessels go to the eye. And we, we've been hearing how uh, you know addictive tobacco smoking, commercial tobacco use is bad for our blood vessels. But the connection with uh, carrying extra weight, uh, how does that factor into eye health? Well, sure. It has to do almost the same way you're talking about with the smoking and the diabetes. If you are carrying extra weight, you're at higher risk for a number of diseases, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. All of those diseases affect the vasculature, the blood vessels in your eye. So you'll be at higher risk for diabetes. And, of course, if you have diabetes, then you are have the possibility of developing diabetic retinopathy. So that's that connection and why it's so important to take care of your overall health um, if you want to keep your eyes healthy. I think all of us have dealt with elders or uh, older individuals, maybe in our own family, and they do develop eye problems later in life, and they become very concerned based on their encounters with eye professionals as far as sun exposure. And we see them you know, wearing these big sunglasses and all. Is sun something we need to be concerned about before we have eye problems, or is this maybe just an issue for those with uh, eye health difficulties? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. So UV rays, ultraviolet rays from the sun, actually cause changes in the surface of our body. We know skin cancer and changes on the skin that happen as a result of UV exposure to light. We're familiar with that. We know we should be wearing sunscreen, and we, we lather our kids up in it. But those same um, UV rays can cause um, damage to the eye surface, to the delicate surface tissues of the eye, and to the internal structures of the eye. So UV light is something we need to protect against, especially in the summer and especially in regions that have more UV exposure. The closer you get to the equator, the further south in the United States, the more exposure you have, or in greater elevation, or if you have a lot of snow or a lot of water time where there's a lot of reflected light. All of that can cause damage that can lead to nuisance complaints, changes to the surface of the eye that feel like dryness, gritty sand Mm -hmm. that don't go away, that require chronic management, and also more concerning changes to the structures inside the eye. So UV-blocking sunglasses, Happily, they're required, uh, if they're sold as sunglasses, they're required to block UVA and UVB light. So you just have to look for a tag that says it's UV blocking, blocks 99% of UVA and UVB light, and you don't have to pay a lot of money for those sunglasses um, to protect your eyes. Boy, that is good news. Now, I'm thinking of another uh, issue that sometimes comes up when we speak about eye health. You know, we've been speaking about sun and, and sunlight. I know that there's a lot of people, at least in medical circles, who are talking about, well, just be honest with you, especially in uh, younger generations, all the screen time that people have. And I've heard some discussions uh, about eye health and especially about the use of some of these devices later in the day. Do we really know whether there are dangers to the eye associated with these, uh, these screens that have become so prevalent? 
right? This certainly is a big concern. And parents, of course, are concerned with screen time for multiple reasons. They think it's substituting for other time where they'd like to see their kids out playing and engaging in other activities. So there's a good news and a bad news kind of to, to your question. The good news is that the, the screens, such as from your smartphones or your computer screens that are modern, these should not be emitting any kind of radiation that's dangerous or anything like that. So you're not hurting your eyes in that sense by being on a computer or by being on your phone. But um, what happens, we and people have studied this, when you uh, focus on a screen, even on the television screen, if you're, if you're a gamer or something, for long periods of time, you don't blink as often and your eyes become dry. The muscles that focus kind of get, um, can get locked into this focus state and they can become strained and you can develop headaches, things like this. Mm -hmm. So we give some guidance for people who are experiencing some strain associated with a lot of computer work, and it's called the 20-20-20 rule. And about every 20 minutes, take a break for about 20 seconds, call it a half minute, and look off into the distance. And that's Mm. simulated by looking away 20 feet. And this break, you know, a couple times an hour for half a minute, blink your eyes, defocus your eyes, relax a little, that allows your eyes to kind of recover from the strain that you've been inducing by looking at this one screen for hours on end. Okay, so the 20-20-20 rule. Let me see if I've got this. If I'm working on a screen for 20 minutes, then I take a 20-second break and try to look at something 20 feet away. Have I got it? Yes, like look far off. That's right. Okay, well... I know you've got a lot more great information. I know our show is rapidly winding up, and I know you've got a busy schedule as well. But let's say there's someone who's tuned into the show. Maybe they've just caught a small portion of it. They want more information. Is there one place they can go that will give them some of those uh, those key points that we've talked about and more? Yes, there absolutely is. So the National Eye Institute has a website. It's um, nei.nih.gov. And on that website, there are tips for keeping your eyes healthy. There are some um, useful information on the different eye diseases. And I think a couple of other useful um, uh, links on that website are access to finding a doctor. If you don't know how to find a doctor in your area, the website can help guide you. There's also a link that helps guide people to finding financial resources to help pay for an eye exam. Really? We know this could be challenging. Yeah. Uh And, and so there are ways to get help um, paying for that eye exam. So if that's the barrier, hopefully we can help you get over that. Boy, that is tremendous. So there's not only educational resources, but there's practical help and connecting with a provider. And if someone's tight on funds, you'll even point them in some directions that will help with that. Yes, there are some, some um, organizations that help support accessing eye care for those for whom that's a financial burden, which it certainly can be. Well, I, I welcome your listeners to access our website and look around. There's lots of great information on that website. So I think I've got it here. NEI for National Eye Institute dot NIH for National Institutes of Health dot GOV for government. Got it? That's exactly right. Well, Dr. Bishop, we have to step away. We have to close out this program. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. That is all for today's edition of American Indian Living. Hopefully today's show has given you some insights to live better and longer. I'm Dr. David DeRose. For all of us, I'm wishing you a healthy life. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.